Hi, and welcome back to the Unplugged Debate. For more content and things that we speak about on this podcast, come join us on our Instagram page at the Unplugged Me. Until then, let's get back into the podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Unplugged Debate. On this podcast, we delve into the ideas surrounding human interaction with both nature and technology, talking to people about their time in the outdoors, starting from when they were younger all the way through to present day, developing a picture on who and what motivates them to be outside and why they do the things they do in the outdoors, crossing over into talking about their technology usage and how that's changed throughout their life and speaking to them about the different types of technology they use on a day-to-day basis from their mobile phones to their running shoes. Once we've developed a good picture of them, we incorporate that into how they think technology has changed their outlook on life and their time in the outdoors. And finishing with how they think technological development has changed society on a wider scale. So hello and welcome. On today's episode, we have Chris McElroy. Chris is currently the CEO and founder of Knox Provision, which is a binoculars company. Um, when did you set that up, Chris? Uh, officially set up the paperwork in 2019, but the idea had gone back um, all the way through 2017 from reaching out to factories, to sketching, to just thinking of funny shit about it. But then it was the fall of 2018 when I went pretty hard on 3D printing and designing the product um, and then kind of went with a minimum viable effort as far as getting paperwork set up. So the paperwork says 2019. Fair enough. So all, all of the research and development was done earlier than that, but 2019 was the official date. Yeah. Awesome. And so you've also... Um, You've also got a BA from uh, Leota Marymount University in marketing and finance. And then you also went to London, uh, where you studied at the London School of Economics. And what was that in? That was in alternative investments, so hedge funds and private equity, um, which is where I learned that I didn't want to do finance. Um, I enjoy the, I enjoy, you know, that's kind of where I learned that I enjoyed the business aspects, um, but really wanted to be on the sort of top line side of things as far as marketing and, and product and uh, less sort of keeping score. Um, yeah. So it was a good good background. Awesome. And then just to top it all off, you are a keen ski racer, mountain biker and surfer as well. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up ski racing, so I've got a solid foundation there, but I do a lot more kind of freestyle skiing and in the terrain park and big mountain and then uh yeah mountain bike mountain bike racing uh and uh surfing as well nice and you did say that you you were keen in, in or not so keen in doing the hill walking stuff unless there was something there was an antithesis to do it like a, a proper purpose for it yeah you know i like to go on a hike uh, with friends and family um or on trails to you know beautiful places but Typically, my, my mental health is most rejuvenated if I'm skiing 
whether backcountry skiing, climbing up a hill and, and sliding down or, or just at the resort um, or mountain biking or surfing. That really like refreshes the mind quite a bit. Nice. So that sort of leads into the first, the first bit of the podcast is sort of where did this interest for the outdoors come from? Was it a family led thing or was it friends led or was it a, a personal led thing that you were keen to get out there and do that sort of stuff? No, it was very family led. Um, my dad grew up, his, my grandfather was pretty early up in the California ski resorts and my, my dad grew up skiing and really fell in love with it out of his brother's ski. I, I've been on skis since as long as I can remember. Been on mountain bikes since I was six because my dad bought a mountain bike and, and I just kind of fell in love with it and uh, you know started working in bike shops in high school. And, um, and yeah, I've always kind of considered myself a, a skier and mountain biker, which inherently you know puts you outdoors quite a bit. And so you're saying that when you first started, your dad was sort of this big skier, so that's how you got into that sort of thing. Um, when did, because obviously you said you, you grew up just outside was it san um san francisco or was it yeah, san diego just outside san francisco and so what just sort of give us a picture of this this town area is it um set up in the hills um what's the what's the sort of surroundings that you have in this area uh just like um they call it a mediterranean climate but just uh, you know between the ocean and the bay um slightly hilly but it used to be like an apricot orchard and the whole area was super produce oriented until they started developing microprocessors and and now it's really silicon valley so i grew up uh, where you know five miles from apple five miles from google like and really got to see that progress as i was a kid well, that's that's going to be quite interesting to see that as you grow up um yeah. Um, how's there's that like one season you know one season there is always sunny it's always 60 to 70 degrees like it, it just never changes perfect so you could spend a lot of time you could bike to school all yeah. around all, all year round oh, that, that sounds that sounds amazing <laughs> I'll, I'll change that for the scottish weather any day <laughs> <laughs> and so how did that sort of um change as you grew up so was it um as you hit school and stuff, did that, did that sort of keenness for the outdoors drop off or, or did it continue all the way through? Has there been any drop off as you got older? Yeah. You know, it's a, that's a really good question. Um, when I was in high school, I worked in a bike shop. We would convince our buddies and buddies' parents to give us a ride up to the hills to go bike. Like that was a really big part of my identity. And then going to college um, really dropped off and went to school in LA and, and really just experienced the city quite a bit and college life and kind of, yeah, didn't really care too much to, to go mountain bike or would ski on and off. Um, but really developed a lot of relationships through skiing and biking. And then after school went to San Francisco and just stayed and really like did the city thing and went to the park and didn't really get out too much. But then I learned about this mountain in the middle of San Francisco called Mount Sutro. Mm -hmm. And my friend told me about it and I would ride my little like urban road bike to the mountain in the mornings and then trail run, you know, before starting work, I lived in the office. So it was a nice break. And then eventually it was like, man, I should be mountain biking. 
I don't need to ride a road bike and then trail run. I can just combine them and, and do both. So that was really when I got back into the sport was realizing I could mountain bike sort of out of the front door in a city, which was pretty dope. And so obviously America is just this vast uh, continent of amazing scenery and stuff like that. But have you experienced anything have you gone on trips around the world and experienced the same sort of things in other places? Have you gone skiing in other areas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've gone skied in Japan a few times, skied in the Alps a few times, one time connected it. So flew like to Japan and then Switzerland and then back home. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I've certainly, you know, loved that mountain biking out in Morzine was really cool. Uh, I did that this summer. Um, and in, in Moab, Utah is another pretty cool spot. So, yeah, and here in Tahoe, we've got some pretty good terrain as well. So, so yeah, it's nice to travel, but it's nice to be, you know, in California at home. There's a good community. And, and really the community is what propels, like, the sport, like trail building, trail maintenance. Um, and we've got a strong community here. So you, you're, part, you're part of that. Do you go out and make trails and... and and build them as well uh i said i'd say i am a very keen supporter of it meaning i've got this binocular business that i uh, you know i have to run and that takes quite a bit of time but if we're out riding and we see the trail builders working on something like i'll stop you know the friends and usually there's tools in the bushes and we'll lend you know a half an hour of work but for four of us we can get quite quite a bit done so very conscious of that but i wouldn't say i'm the guy going out and building trails fair enough and we were talking about it just before we started and you mentioned it um about your about your mental health um and so if you use the outdoors as as a conduit to benefit your mental health uh, throughout your life or or is that something that you know one of my previous guests was saying that she didn't have the words for the mental health issues that she had um but so have you used it as a way of sort of maintaining a, a good positive outlook on life, you know, using the outdoors and using these sports? Yeah. Like accidentally, you know, I didn't think when I started going outdoors that this was some sort of like mental health, like propagation that would help me mentally. I was like, huh, I live in my office and if I sleep in till nine o'clock, a door opens with the employees coming in to the office. And that's really sad. It's like, oh, I'm just, I have to stay here all day. Mm-hmm. So by breaking up the day and leaving, waking up at six and riding up Mount Sutro and climbing a freaking mountain before the day started, literally like climbing a little mountain, sitting at the top. Sometimes I'd meditate on the rock, but it was just nice to get out. And then I'd go to work and feel like, eh, I already climbed a mountain today. Like I'm feeling pretty good. Um, you know, that was great. And and I wouldn't say that I was like keenly attributing that to like mental health and wellness, but now, you know, spending a lot more time working in front of a computer, um, knowing that I have breaks midweek and knowing that I can go out, like it, it just makes it a lot easier than staying in the office. Like, I don't know if I'm answering this question as eloquently as I would have, would have liked, but it, a week of just working and going home and like, not doing much exercise or outdoor activity at the end of the week, I feel so drained versus 
if I can sneak in a ride after work or a ride before work or just some rigorous outdoor exercise, it just makes the, my mental clarity a lot higher and, and the days just go by a lot uh, better. Yeah. And so you were talking about um, your uh, company, Knox. Um, so let's just talk about that in, in relation to the outdoors and how, so was this um, love for getting out and, and going up and climbing these mountains uh, or riding up these mountains and stuff and um, accidentally falling on the sort of the benefits of it for mental health? Where did the Knox bit come into it? Because I remember in our initial chat, we were talking about it and um, it was trying to encourage people to reconnect with nature, basically, with having some... Well, Exactly, exactly. And I think that that was part of my own, you know, my own progression of going outdoors was really like, if you go out and you're just shredding, surfing or mountain biking, and the world's flying past you at a thousand you know, miles an hour, you stop, you miss those little details. And so the idea of binoculars came about living out at the outer sunset in San Francisco, a roommate, a good friend of mine, fellow business owner had uh, mentioned like, wow, I would you know, love a set of stylish binoculars I could be at a music festival with and, and not seem like a creep. And uh, so we, we just bought some on Amazon and, you know, we were like, oh, these are actually really quite useful. Like we can look out from the front of the house and check the waves. And then there'd be little raccoons that would scurry across the street and we could like get them in the binoculars. And it was just so cool. And then, and, and really that led to the research of this category, just being really like, homogenous right tactical brands very kind of tactical brands or sterile brands that you know like a, that are very kind of boring and then products that are like they start at 50 bucks and they go up to three thousand. and you kind of have no idea what you're getting and no idea what any of this stuff means so it was really a confusing product marketplace and then just a terrible brand area and and luckily, I just had a lot of time to think about um, this and realized, yeah, like binoculars inherently make you present. You can't be on your phone and binoculars at the same time, for example. Like they make you present, they lock you in. It's almost like a visual meditation and that observation practice. And I just thought that was so cool as something to work into as part of a brand that basically the correct thing is just be anything but what these tactical sterile brands are doing. So for us, you know, looking at the inspiration of being in San Francisco, right? Like feeling that interconnectedness of all species and all things um, and using binoculars and really just feeling like, wow, we could create a powerful product brand and like message around what, you know, how we want to sort of be in the world and, and really, it was like a fun project. Like it was this idea, it was a fun project. It wasn't like a business plan. There was no venture money, like investment strategy, five-year plan. It was like, this would be such a cool brand. Cause side note, during the day I worked for, I worked for a, uh, after Boombotics, which was a company that I co-founded, super great experience, kind of reinvigorating portable speakers and pioneering wearable speakers. I worked at like a venture-backed tech company in the security space and the brand which i was responsible for just was so terrible 
So on the commutes home, I would sort of envision what the ideal this brand Knox could be. Um, and then, yeah, got it, got it out there and friends started seeing it and, and it really resonated with kind of younger kind of coastal per, the, the peers that I had in San Francisco. And I remember we were talking because what you're describing in, in my head is this sort of um, thing we call slow adventure in the adventure industry. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's it's that case of, um, you know, these extreme sports, that they're, they're fantastic. The exhilaration you get where you, in your words, that you're shredding, shredding down this hill and like getting that exhilaration from it. But like you're saying, it's slowing down and actually being present and focusing on that. So have you seen that change over your um, over your life, basically? So have you gone from that exhilarating thing and that's that's the aim of when we go outside to sort of slowing down and actually taking in what's around you? Well, yes, it's certainly progressed. And I'd say my retirement plan is something like birding, safaris and whatnot, um, which is, is super cool. But, but right now, uh, I've actually found that passions really combine um for example in the morning if i I'll, I'll have my binoculars on the bike and we'll climb up you know a, a mountain near this office and be really keen on the way up to look out for for birds and to listen and you know sometimes you'll see like a uh i'll see like a sooty grouse and you can hear them they make this crazy sound like a really deep kind of like whoop and then I'll look for them and not be concerned about like, what's my time climbing this hill? Like how hard can I shred? Like shred, shred is not the right word for going up, but how hard can I hammer going up this hill? Like, fuck, I don't care. I'm going to stop and look for this bird. And all of a sudden have that moment of presence. And it's cool because what would take an hour to hike 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm there on a bike. So it's actually been really cool. Bike birding, and just being willing to stop and pause and listen and be a little more aware of your surroundings and then see the bird, see like a marmen and other really cool wildlife and just be present and locked in. And then, yeah, turn around and drop in and for lack of a better word, shred the gnar, like riding a trail that's super awesome and get into that state, but feel like kind of having both. Um, that's worked for me just from my own background. And, and to be honest, um the knocks were really designed as like that little tool that could help just join anyone on a camping trip on a vacation on a trip down the coast where you're like you're not like necessarily like knocks or for mountain biking but you're more so like hey knocks are for uh taking a trip down the coast if you're going and you're sitting around a campfire and you see a bird in the tree it's just nice to lock in on them so it's been cool kind of on both fronts so you're obviously saying it's it's become this sort of link of being able to slow down, but also still get the same uh, things out of it um, where you can have the exhilaration, but also, you, you know, hammering it up a hill and then you stop and look. It also gives you time to recover as well, I guess, in that same breath. Uh, and this is really, it's my kind of personal experience with it with being outdoors and, and kind of meshing the actual product that we make. Um, so yeah, exactly. It allows you to catch your breath. Sometimes it's a bad idea if you're climbing um, and you stop 
you, you know, the lactic acid builds up. Sometimes it's tough to get going again. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a nice way to, to really just take in the experience and, and remember that like, Hey, you're out there. Um, and it's really beautiful and you might as well just like enjoy it. Right. Cause if you're just rushing, you're going to rush home and be sitting on the couch on your phone in, in no time. So <laughs> okay. might as well, yeah. Just frame that. And, and you were saying that you're, that Knox itself, you, you're also working with a couple, uh, a couple of organizations and you're trying to encourage, uh, people to, to get out into nature, if I recall. Oh yeah, certainly, certainly. So with Knox, you know, um, a founding principle of ours and founding something we've done since the first pair of binoculars sold has been a part of 1% for the planet. But within 1% for the planet, we really look to, you know, foster the going outdoors of, of people who ordinarily wouldn't. Um, and so we originally partnered with Trips for Kids Marin. Um, it's, a, it's an after-school program for kids who, you know, are in San Francisco and might not have the chance to get out on mountain bikes and go check out like the different parks. And, you know, it's so cool to, to get, you know, these kids out shredding on bikes, going through Golden Gate Park, being in nature, enjoying the thing that like we talk, like that I've always been talking about is, oh, like it's so fulfilling. It's so relieving. It's so healthy to be in nature. And, you know, when you look at a lot of the philanthropic philanthropic efforts of a lot of brands, you know, up till 2020, it's been like save the waves, trash pickups, this, that, and the other, but it doesn't really look at the social, like the sort of social dynamic, especially in America, which is saying all of these outdoor brands have a wide, they might have a wide audience, but they're showing a very narrow group of like fit, athletic, mostly white people in their marketing. And with you know, with my own personal outdoor experiences, being out at the top of a mountain, let's say, or seeing an amazing, like, you know, animal, you might think, wow, you know, if only like everyone could see this, then maybe the world would be a better place. That kind of like blue sky thinking. But with Knox, you know, it's been really concrete and, and we're through 1% of the planet, we've, we've really grown and, you know, the sort of, Two things that we do as far as social justice in the outdoors is one, we fund outdoor programs kind of led by those who they're trying to help as far as bringing in Black, Indigenous, um, Latinx, Asian, uh, you know, other people of color into nature and really fostering like a safe environment for that. So financially supporting that. And then two is sharing the authentic stories of these individuals who we might connect with. We call them, you know, the Knox naturalists. And it's a really, it's a, it's a great bunch of a bunch of different faces and use cases and stories rather than just kind of the modern brand playbook, you might say of being like, oh shoot, 2020 happened, we're inclusive. Here are some models, but actually with our marketing and all of our content, the people who, who we're featuring, there's a full interview about how the outdoors has affected them, how, you know, what can be better in the outdoors, what could be worse, what public spaces mean to them, to show that, like, look, other, you know, this, these are the people who are outdoors. They're not new to the outdoors. They have been outdoors. And we're sharing their story. You know, it's, it's not just a pretty face. So those two things are what we do. Um, and, you know, it's, it's exciting, for sure. And having that link, 
um, and encouraging everyone to get into the outdoors. Do you think that there's, there's sort of like there's a, a, a different level of respect once for the for for nature and and for the environment in those individuals that you encourage that normally wouldn't head out into into the into nature and into that environment i mean i don't know the answer to that uh, i think i think yes and i think that the activity that you're doing and the way that you're immersed into the outdoors actually makes a big difference so we've been in touch with a lot of people um a fellow out in washington dc leading after school programs with the best intent of course was finding that like going on a, a walk just a a walk and a hike, whatever, um, a lot to, to kids who are sort of unfamiliar with, with say hiking in the woods, we're kind of like, what are we doing? Like, this is, we're just walking in the, the woods. This is, you know, I don't think that builds the respect as much as we were talking about saying, hey, how can we provide you? And we did provide them with binoculars to say, look, let's go out with purpose. You know, let's go out and, and we're going to look for birds and see who can spot one. And it's almost like, Pokemon Go in the real world. But I think that like with the right activity and the right introduction that you can find that respect. And um, not saying binoculars are the perfect tool for it, but they're a good way to like watch a little bird, you know, eating something. And if it's like a piece of trash, you might be like, oh, you might empathize with the bird and might think, wow, I might, I shouldn't throw my trash out like when I am outdoors. But I think, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky process how to in, how to kind of bring how, how new people can how people can go into the outdoors as sort of beginners per se and um and feel like a respect for it no that's cool i i i, I like the message that, that your company is delivering i think it's it's fantastic and it's the same sort of thing with what we're trying to do is 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 get people to rethink how they interact with nature and just just get out and be part of it and like inadvertently say get lost in in nature but it's yeah, yeah. it's trying to get people to think you're still connected we are still connected with nature we're part of this big ecosystem on the earth and we need to be thinking about it so i think i yeah. think i think it's awesome what your com- what your company's doing and sort of also normalizing the outdoor experience for, for all walks, especially like in America, you know, normalizing um, black indigenous people of color out, outdoors as, as part of what that, what the, the narrative is. Um, whereas it had been, and it has been very typically like a sort of white, like privileged activity, um, but normal, normalizing the narrative that it's, it's for everyone. And it's not a surprise to see, someone who's not white outdoors but actually like it is for everyone um yeah it's a it's been it's obviously you know from my perspective as a white straight male it's i can only know so much and see so much so it's been a really good learning activity speaking with and being with a lot of the people who are are naturalists to learn about their experience in the outdoors and ultimately be a better ally so how is that sort of because when you were younger, you said um, you, were, you were really into the outdoors. And then when you went to university and, and school and things like that, it sort of dropped off. So would you say that, um, that that has had an impact? So 
that you were talking earlier on about your use of technology and having to come and sit in a desk uh, behind a desk to, to obviously run run your company um how do you feel like technology is is has impacted your life and and the way that you interact with nature well um i mean from like a super super high level perspective starting a business in 2010 where there were not Facebook ads, Google ads were still like text. Um, uh, it was a lot tougher. You had to build your own website. You had to build a checkout. You had to get a credit card little module, right? And so ultimately the technology that exists today and all these disruptive businesses, you know, creating HR benefits, Shopify we use, like all of these really great technology tools that we're just pulling from and the price, they're really priced to scale and having warehouse self, my team here at Knox to build this business, which affords the freedom to be like, eh, I don't have any meetings here. You know what? Let's go for a bike ride. It's one o'clock. And so ultimately the technology has enabled a business that can run remotely, um, flexibly, and actually like not make not have to live like nine to five glued to the sort of clock at the whim of my boss or my boss's boss. So that's actually been pretty cool. Technology has enabled me to be outside more um, with the flexibility afforded by, by having a business like this. Yeah. And so, so how has that changed as you've grown up? So as you, when you were younger, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 33. 33. So you were in that age group where, you know, having a phone and things like that wasn't a, wasn't a thing when you were, when you were growing up or, or, oh, or yeah. you were, or we were coming into the cusp of it as we were sort of hitting our teenage years and stuff. So do you think that, that that's had an impact on the way that you have an outlook in, in your thirties? Do you still feel like you can just put your phone down and, and go and go away from it and, and still be present without having a phone? Uh, you know, I do love being phone free, uh, which might be like camping somewhere or at like a ski hut trip, like in the back country, like just turning the phone off. Um, but I really use it as a tool um, mm. in the back, like in the back country or mountain biking or skiing, which having map apps running, um, which allow me to, to look at like slope angle shading to know if a, a slope might be safe for avalanche or, or not and actually choosing a, a route um, and shooting, taking videos of friends. Like I really do enjoy it as a tool outdoors. Um, I don't find myself too distracted by it. Certainly have all the notifications turned off. Um, and, and yeah, well, I might have my AirPods in and like if I get lost and I can get a phone call from a friend on the hill and it almost, it feels very uh, empowering to be honest outdoors. Um, when you're not like looking at your phone outdoors, but the, to be honest, the place where I, I don't like my phone use is indoors where I might be sitting around and, and pull it out and, you know, end up on an infinite scroll. Um, but actually outdoors, I feel like it's a really great tool. So let's 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 take it back. So as you were growing up, when when sort of did 
technology as as that quintessential technology that we talk about all the time sort of come into your life was it in your late teenage years or early teens or yeah you know i had a cell phone when i was like 11 um one of those funny when they had all those crazy different form factors and yeah that was cool uh but then i never used it and then my I ended up just, uh, yeah, not having a cell phone in high school. Um, when I went to college, I got a Mac computer, which was pretty empowering. Um, you know, my first computer, uh, that was quite good. And we just, and then eventually had a Blackberry in college, uh, bought an iPhone out of school. Um, and I've sort of been just sort of following along with the technology trend of iPhone, you know, from iPhone one to, whatever we're on now. Um, yeah, overall, uh, I did enjoy that. I'm looking back at that period where there weren't just a million apps and social media was a, a thing you might check once a day um, in that sort of early 2010s to maybe 2015. That was pretty, pretty cool. And then, you know, to be honest, watched as it grew and, and as spots would get blown up on social media and you could find a new wave or a new mountain bike trail. Um, it was, it's been really interesting to watch how social media has blown up the spot, so to speak, in, in the outdoor, you know, surf, ski, bike communities where stuff gets shown online, people tag a location and then it gets hit pretty hard. And I mean, you said you use it as a tool and it, it, it's not something that you need, but you use it as a tool. So that using those words, um, in my mind means that you're not, you're not addicted to it. You don't need to have it with you all the time. You know, yeah, it, 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 it outdoors, it feels, it feels great, but, uh, it really is that like downtime at home where I, I have been a little bit better about just leaving the phone in another room. Um, I've got a bunch of books to read, which has been great. To be honest, you'd, you'd get a kick out of this. We didn't talk about this prior, but after the speaker business, um, I worked for this company called Yonder and we created, basically they create these pouches that you put your phone into and they lock with like a little locking, proprietary locking mechanism that can only be unlocked with a super powerful magnet. And what, that was used for is creating phone-free spaces for comedy shows, music, schools. And that was actually a pretty fun sort of social experiment, mm. create, you know, producing events with like Dave Chappelle, John Mayer, and, uh, and having a crowd full of people with their phones locked away and seeing how they interact differently, how they speak to one another. And, you know, there's, it really was some, it is something that's so cool. And there's, I'm surprised there's not more like social studies on that, but um, I do feel like pretty good about the phone, except when I'm out, when I'm outdoors, I feel great about the phone. Like I use it as a tool, but sometimes indoors it, it, it does feel a bit unfortunate how much I'm looking at it. But that that's super cool that there was actually a pouch that you would, it would you could only open it with a super strong magnet have you heard of the term nomophobia no so that that was that was a term coined in 2004 by the post office over here they 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 commissioned a study 
And um, it's the phobia and the fear of not having your mobile phone. Ah. So I, the true anxiety of if you're scared of spiders or, or scared of heights, that, that kind of fear of not having your phone. So yeah. was, that would be really interesting seeing those concerts or those sort of talking events or, and stuff that, that people aren't able to get to their phone. They can't quickly Google something, you know. Yeah, it's cool. The, the, the product is actually so great because it actually kept the phone. You held on to it. So mm. it was like in your pocket. You could like touch it. Ugh. You could feel it. But And if you needed to, you could like go to a designated area to basically like take take your phone out. But yeah, certain, certainly a real experience. Yeah. And so that, that sort of leads us on to the, the, the last and final section. And how do you feel um, that technology is starting to change modern day culture and society? You, you sort of touched on it there that you use it as a tool when you're in the outdoors and it gives you that ability to check uh, for avalanche slopes and check where, the, where some really cool mountain bike routes might be. Um, yeah, so talk, talk us about that. How do you think it's changing modern day culture and society? I mean, I mean it's making it. It's, it's easy. I was chatting with a guy I was skiing with yesterday who's like you know, 69 years old. And my friend was just like kind of critiquing like a bunch of stuff. And he's like, dude, from a big picture perspective, look at it that way. And, you know, technology has made, yeah, the ability for a business like Knox to be able to exist without having to raise five, $10 million to hire web developers to build this. Like this stuff is, it's, it's made our lives a lot easier. It's put all the world's information at our fingertips, um, different layers of maps. I mean, when I'm outdoors, I feel a lot safer with the technology. I can connect with you in the UK, like the way that we're doing this now. Um, so there's an incredible benefit, but I think that there's just discipline that needs to be, people need discipline to not get addicted to the, you know, the way a rat in a cage hits a lever for dopamine. Yeah. Like we need to sort of, you know, like Yonder does that, that pouch business. Like I'm working at home to just put the phone in a separate room, let it charge and try to almost use the phone as like my outside tool. Whereas indoors, like reading and, and being more deliberate because it's true. Like the world's best engineers and thinkers and scientists are being incentivized to build technology that gets you to spend more time on it than the uh, flying cars we were promised. I'm still waiting for those flying cars. I've seen some, uh, some funny looking quadcopters that fly people around, but it looks pretty ugly. (laughs) So one of my guests, they said that, they got the chance to go and do the Grand Canyon, like uh, go and paddle down the Grand Canyon. And the, the problem was, is that he, he was taking a big group with him. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to make sure that he had viewed all of the really big rapids that, you know, potentially could end the trip um, for unfortunate events. And he said that, Although there is some big water, he'd he in his mind he'd already run the um, run the rapids, run the really big ones because he wanted to make sure, as the head person leading the, the trip, that he he sort of 
got rid of the variables and knew what knew what he was doing. Do you feel like there's um with this ability to be so connected and have the convenience of knowing where you're going and where the best places are? Do you think it takes the adventure out of it slightly? That's a great question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it does. <laughs> and I'm thinking of my own personal experience. Like I love looking at maps. I swear when I'm at home or indoors, I'm looking at like topo maps, trying to find like, could you ski that line? Could you ski that line over there? And, um, you know, with, with something like skiing, there's ways where if you're not fully prepared, you could ski into a slope that would cause an avalanche. But even if, even if it, the avalanche danger is low, you can still get clipped out, which is where you can't, like where the only way down is off of like a 50 foot cliff. So being aware of and researching like lines, I'll, I'll stare with binoculars, looking at maps, using binoculars, and then one day go out and do that adventure and know like, okay, you're going to cut through this hole and this rock here into this little couloir and then ski that and then like execute it and be really, and it just feels good, you know, like preparation went into it. Um, similar things with, with mountain biking, knowing um, sort of looking at other people's routes online and seeing what the mountain sort of gradient is, knowing like, okay, this is a, a five mile climb with no break. I'm bringing three water bottles and I'm not wearing a jacket because I won't be cold at all. So just that research, I don't think it takes away from the adventure because I feel like you can successfully execute on the adventure a lot uh, and, and, and get home feeling all right. And yeah. granted, the, the sort of variables I like to leave to like equipment failure or crashes like that kind of stuff but but for routing i mean my friends can attest i'm just like always looking at maps and trying to like be super prepared to, to kind of make to, to reduce the variables to just the silly human variables yeah no that's that's an interesting take on it um and i do like asking that question because you know it, it depends on your set perspective and 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 that's what i wanted was your perspective on it you don't feel like you lose the adventure of it the adventure wow. is the the planning the looking at it getting the binoculars out seeing the topographical map and then going oh yeah maybe that maybe that bit that's that's awesome i like that that's that's really cool and totally the adventure actually like can be a week long of preparation and using binoculars and looking at maps and talking to friends and checking the snow or, you know, checking, and then all of a sudden you, you, you go for it and you mm. do it and it, or you go for it and you don't do it, but it, it feels really like a full doll part of it. Um, yeah. And I think the same goes even with like something like uh, birding, like knowing where birding is a little more elusive, but knowing, okay, like where you're going to go, how you're going to get there. And you might not like see the thing, but at the same time, you, you kind of, I like to, use tools to to give yourself the best shot yeah no that's, that's cool man right i think we'll finish it there that's been fantastic i think we've covered some great stuff and I, I really do uh like the message that your company is delivering uh, of trying to reconnect people with with nature with purpose and that's that's the important bit so at the end of the episodes of my podcast i asked this ambiguous question 
Um, if you could go anywhere in the world off grid for a year, where would you go and what would you do? Don't have to worry about your job, you know, money or whatever. That's all covered. Where would you go for a year if live off grid? I would go to uh, Chamonix, uh, sort of this the Swiss French Alps mm-hmm. border, somewhere in there in a little town uh, between between Morzine and Chamonix and La Cusa and, and just spend time sort of going through that season, exploring the different terrain there. Um, yeah, I think that would be, that would be one. And then, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what comes to mind first being so, so nested out here. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, that's cool. You didn't, the, you, where would, where would your second place be? A second place would be, uh, probably in um, I'm trying to think of like Changu and Bali is a nice spot, but it's pretty populated for all for all those listening. It's uh, just, you know, there's a, a lot of people there, but I think I think probably somewhere in South America, where probably near Oaxaca, where you could yeah Oaxaca, where you could surf and still mountain bike and have plenty of tacos in Mescal. Yeah, that's the runaround. So Chamonix and Oaxaca, that's what I'm going Well, that sounds fantastic. Chris, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Likewise, Craig, thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting and uh, yeah, let's keep in touch. Yeah, like the sound of that. Cool. Big thanks again for Chris for joining us on the Unplugged Debate. Our service has been a bit uh, spotty as of late, but we've had some movement on other parts of the company, so we've been trying to fit everything in. Unfortunately, the podcast has taken a hit for that. I do apologise, and regular service should resume soon. I'd just like to say a big thank you for everyone who has been listening over the last year, and it's been an amazing experience to produce this podcast. So thank you all for listening.